Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. This sermon series, from now all the way through Easter, is called The Way, and it involves an examination of Jesus' teachings from his Sermon on the Mount, as found in the Gospel of Matthew. The importance behind this sermon series is that Jesus is revising many of the laws that we find in the Old Testament. It's important for our understanding as Christians to understand where he comes from and how he interprets those laws. I hope you enjoy this series. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Deuteronomy, verses, or chapter 28, verses 1 through 6, where we hear about the blessings that we will receive when we are obedient to God. If you will only obey the Lord your God by diligently observing all his commandments that I am commanding you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your livestock, both the increase of your cattle and the issue of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so our second scripture reading today, it comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Again, we're talking about the concept of blessings. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I hope everybody had a good Christmas. Everybody have a good Christmas? Good New Year? Yeah? We, uh, of course, had... Service on Christmas Day, which was a Sunday, right after the New Year's services, which was horrible timing. You never like to have those. And thankfully, Judy preached on that day. So it was actually, I'm sure all of you came out to that, right? Like you were here, right? And then uh, we had it on New Year's Day where uh, TC preached. TC is unfortunately sick today from working with all those youth, going out and doing all kinds of things with them. Uh, but he, his sermon was really short on New Year's Day. It was like 12 minutes. And at the end of his benediction, he said, he said that's how short the sermons will be from this point forward, um, which is not true, unfortunately. <laughs> but it's nice to think that way, right? So we did our God and Science series. If you were here for that, we worked our way through God and Science for the last three months. And now we're moving on to a new series. The series is called The Way. And 
it revolves around this idea of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew's Gospel. Now, if you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, I want to take a little bit of time to explain some background on it so that you understand why we're going to spend the next three months talking about all the material that's found within these chapters. So if you've ever read Matthew's Gospel, if you start off at the beginning, you realize that Jesus, he's not really very much a part of it for the first three and a half chapters. He's just kind of born and he's there. And so then you get to chapter four and all of a sudden things start to wind up and he's going out and he gets these people who are following him and they want to be around him because he can heal these people who are with him. And eventually he leads them to the base of a mountain and he goes partway up the mountain so that he can speak to him. To understand why he's doing this, you just have to realize they didn't have PA systems back in the day, right? They didn't have microphones where you could just project your voice very easily. So what would happen is, oftentimes in the ancient world, if you wanted to talk to large crowds, you would have to do so from a certain height so your voice would carry out and everybody could hear you. Now the content of what he's saying is going to be a series of teachings. In most of the Gospels, you will see these teachings kind of scattered throughout, but Matthew he wants to group all of these teachings together into a singular area. They happen afterwards, but this one area is where he wants them to be. And there's a reason why he wants to do this. He wants you as the reader to draw a parallel between Jesus and Moses. Now, who is Moses? Do you all remember who he is, right? He's the guy who leads, what, the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, right? And the other thing that he does, which is really kind of important is that he gives the Israelites the law, which when he announces the law to the people, he does so from the top of Mount Sinai. And so in the same way that Moses gives the law to the people, right? Jesus is giving the law from a mountain as well. Do you see the parallel? It's not too hard to see it, but it's right there, right? Okay. Now what's interesting about Jesus' teachings is that they're so very different from the teachings that we find in the Old Testament. So all those laws that Moses put out there, he turns them all upside down. And indeed, many of these teachings are so profound that it's the reason why I decided to take a closer look at Christianity when I was younger. So when I first started studying Christianity, I was in college, and I was very skeptical about all of it. Clearly, a whole lot has changed for me since then, right? You know, like, I'm not skeptical at all anymore, am I? So... I was studying it at the time, and I would go up to these people who identified as Christian, I would ask them, I would say to them, I'd say, you know, why do you believe all of this stuff? And their response was generally, well, I grew up in it, right? And then secondly, the other thing they would say is, well, since God is the one who's responsible for the Bible, it must be true. Now, that might have been good enough for them. That was not good enough for me. And so every time I would sit down and read the Bible, I would do so with a certain distance, kind of a little bit of doubt behind it. And so I'm reading Matthew's Gospel because that's the first book in the New Testament. And as I read through it, the first four chapters, they seem fabricated to me. They don't seem real. But then I get to chapter 5. And that's what we just started reading today, the Sermon on the Mount. And I read through it, and I'm really struck by what I read. And so I read it again and again. And I come to realize that there are these profound, deep truths that are held within this. And when I eventually decided I was going to dedicate my life exclusively to the Christian faith, I did so because of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, 
the earliest followers of Jesus, they were not called Christians. Do you know what they were called? They were called, yes, the followers of the way. Now that term way is very important here because it's a term that was used to describe a particular philosophy of life. It was not unique to Christians. Christians were not the first people to use this term. They co-opted it from some Jews before them and the Greeks before them. So you all might be familiar. Have you ever heard of this idea? Have you ever heard of the Greek schools of thought like Stoicism, Cynicism, Epicureanism? Whether you know what they are or not, doesn't matter. Have you ever heard of them? Okay. So these particular philosophies, what they stated is that the best kind of life comes as a result of taking the hard, difficult path over the easy path. That's very important. That's what that term way means, that you're taking the difficult path over the easy path. And when you look at Jesus' way, it is quite difficult. And if you want to know what Jesus' way is, it's actually probably best summarized by his Sermon on the Mount. Now, some people, when they look at Jesus' way, they sit there and say, well, it's just far too difficult. There's no way that any person could actually do what he's saying. And I would have to say that I adamantly disagree with that. I don't think that Jesus put all this stuff out there and was like, well, here's the bar, guys, and I know that you're never going to reach it, but I just wanted you to know that it was there so you could see it and you could look at it, right? Because, I mean, what's the point? Why put something out there that you can't actually do? That makes no sense to me. I think Jesus put it out there with the intention that we would follow it and that it is practical in our lives, as challenging as it may be. So each week, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a teaching from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're going to examine it. And we're also going to look at the Old Testament law off of which it is based. None of of the teachings that you will find in the Sermon on the Mount, none of them are unique. They all come from an Old Testament law. But we're going to take that law, we're going to look at it, what it means, and then, from there... We're going to try to understand how does Jesus' teaching apply to our lives in the 21st century? What does it mean to us now? And my hope is that each week you're going to walk away from here and you're going to try to integrate that particular teaching into your life. That's what I want you to do each week is I want you to walk away and think, how can I make this more a part of my life? And by the end of the series, after we've gone through all of these, because you'll be here every single week, right? to hear every single one of these sermons, as you work your way through them, by the end, I want you to think of your identity as a Christian more as the way, that you are a follower of the way. Because I can tell you that once I had internalized and I had really taken into myself and I was actively living out these commandments from the Sermon on the Mount, that was the first time in my life I ever felt like I was living the way God wanted me to live. And with that introduction, we can now get into the meat of things. So, the first thing that Jesus brings up is called the Beatitudes, which is a big fancy word for blessings. That's all it means. Now, we could actually do a whole sermon series just on the Beatitudes, but today I want to focus on one particular question of the Beatitudes. And the question goes like this What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? In the Old Testament reading today, we got a sense of what that was about and how they thought of blessing. And what it says is that if you follow God and God's commandments, then God is going to bless you. And these blessings are defined by personal 
and material prosperity. And they give you examples of it. They say, okay, you follow God's law, here's what's going to happen. Your city's going to be safe. You're going to have lots of children. You're going to have lots of livestock. You're going to have lots of bread. In other words, blessing, from the Old Testament perspective, is like a gift that God gives you for doing something right. And I don't want to demean anybody who has Jewish ancestry. I do. But it's almost kind of like, it's the best analogy in our culture. It's like Santa Claus, right? God is watching whether you've been naughty or nice, and you will be rewarded accordingly. Personally, I will tell you that I think that this is the way that most people think about the concept of blessing. It's kind of a quid pro quo approach to God. Quid pro quo is Latin, and it literally means this for that or something for something. It's transactional. I do something for you, you do something for me. So in the context of the Bible, what this verse we read, basically it says that if I follow your laws, God, and I give up and forego certain things that I might want to do in my life, then you're going to reward me with material comforts. Now, if you happen to be a person of wealth, and I would consider just about everybody in this room of great wealth by Jesus' standards, it's a very convenient way of thinking about the concept of blessing. Because the reason why you have all that money and the reason why you have all that good fortune is because you did something right in God's eyes. Now, the downside to that way of thinking is that if you have blessing because you've done something right, then if you're poor and things are not going well for you, then what does that mean? That you've done something bad, you've done something wrong, and that God is punishing you. This is how the ancients actually thought of the way of blessing. And you can see it. It's not just the Jews. It was other cultures as well, where they would sit there and say, if you're blessed and you have a lot of good health and material possessions, that's because you've done something right for God. And vice versa, if you're in very bad health if you're poor. And by the way, being poor and being in bad health, do those two things tend to go together? They do. So if you're in that situation, let's say your kid is crippled or your kid has a genetic disease, well, then that's because you have done something wrong and you're paying for some sin you committed or some sin that your ancestors committed. Now I have to tell you that I think this is a very dangerous way of thinking of our relationship with God. And in the Christian faith, this is known as the prosperity gospel. I've talked about prosperity gospel before, but I want to talk about it again. Let me define it for you. The idea of prosperity gospel is that the deeper your faith in Jesus, the more prosperous you will become. And this is particularly true in terms of your financial prosperity. This is the most popular form of Christianity in the world, and that is because for people who are poor, they see it as a way out of their poverty. Because if they simply believe, if they simply have more faith, God is going to reward them and give them the material necessities that they lack. Unfortunately, the only people who really tend to benefit from the prosperity gospel are the pastors who preach it. One of my favorite pastors who preaches this particular form of gospel is, of course, my good friend, Joel Osteen. I always try to talk about Joel at least once a year, if I can. So, Joel Osteen, this is a guy who preaches prosperity gospel, and 
He just moved into a new $10.5 million mansion in the River Oaks area of Texas. And he sat down with Oprah on her channel. She was interviewing him. And she asked him directly, she said, do you feel at all bad about living such an ostentatious lifestyle? And this is the answer that he gave to her question. Where does the money come from that you live your life, this life with? This, we don't take a salary from the ministry. About five years ago when I wrote that, my first book, I mean, I never dreamed it would sell millions of copies. And so I was able to go off Your best life now? Yeah. But Mm -hmm. it comes from that. We don't take a salary. Uh, It it comes from books Mm -hmm. and and other things like that. So, uh, So do you make any apologies for your grand piano? I really don't, Oprah. We just feel like this is God's blessings. You know, we're big givers. We live what we preach. We've given millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And we, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a nice place to live and being blessed. Gotta love Joel. Okay, so, so basically the context of that, let's take it back for a second, right? So he says, I don't take a salary from the church, right? So he stopped taking a salary from the church. And if Oprah were sitting here, you all wouldn't be paying attention to me. You'd be looking at Oprah. But let's just say she was sitting here. She would say, well, Alex, do you take a salary from your church? And of course I do. I depend on you all for my salary. But here's the thing that they leave out of what he's talking about. You see, Joe Osteen and his particular church, they beam out his sermon all over the world. More than 100,000 people every week see his message. And so even though he's not getting paid, he has a publicity machine that literally is putting his face out there all over the world. And on top of that, the books that he is selling, they of course are based in prosperity gospel. So even though he's sitting there and he's saying, well, come on guys, I mean everybody needs a nice place to live, right? I can tell you right now that most of his followers, they're not living in $10.5 million mansions. So yeah, I do have a problem with a pastor who gets up there and is supposedly preaching the gospel of Jesus because that is not how Jesus sees the concept of blessing. When you look at Jesus' notion of blessing in the New Testament, it is very, very different from the concept you see in the Old Testament. Do you remember the Beatitudes that I read? So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The way that he's talking about blessing in these passages, it's almost oxymoronic. What he's trying to say is that your good fortune comes from being in bad situations. So, are you poor in spirit? Are you depressed? You feel like your world is crashing in all around you? Then guess what? In God's eyes, you are blessed. Are you mourning right now? The loss of a loved one? Somebody who's passed away? Do you wish they were still here? Are you having trouble moving from one phase of life to the next to say goodbye to that old part of yourself? Then in God's eyes, you too are blessed. Are you a meek person? Are you having trouble standing up for yourself? Are you too weak to prevent people from walking all over you and taking advantage of you, then you too are blessed. The way that Jesus talks about the concept of blessing, it's totally and completely different from the way the rest of us tend to think about blessing. He takes the idea and he turns it upside down. For Jesus, it has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with material possessions. 
It has nothing to do even with good health. For Jesus, blessing for him from his perspective is when you are suffering and struggling and you don't think you're going to make it. That is when you are blessed from Jesus' perspective. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time together is I want to talk about why is it that Jesus sees blessing through the lens of suffering? Because to him, those two things go together. You follow me on this. Those two things are one-to-one, blessing and suffering. Why does he see it that way? And this is the key to everything we're going to be talking about throughout the rest of this series. So, the first reason why I think he sees the concept of blessing through the lens of suffering is because of his audience. And I need you to imagine something with me. This is really important. I want you to imagine the people to whom he is speaking out there. Okay? He's on the mountain. He's talking to them. And I want you to imagine what it's like. These are mostly who? These are mostly peasants, right? These are people who live under severe oppression. I just want you to imagine for a second. Because of the Roman government, you don't know from one day to the next what's going to happen to you. Anything could happen. They could murder you one day, and there would be no recompense for you. It could just happen at any moment. It was that bad. So you live in this situation where you're scared all the time. You don't have very much money. You don't have very much food. You're in poor health, and you don't even have a voice to do anything about it. And Jesus, he knows this about you, and he also knows that your concept of blessing is like what everybody else believes blessing is. So he comes to you, and he says, hey, look, guys, I want you to understand. I know you feel like God has abandoned you, and I know you feel like God only loves those who are wealthy, but you got it all wrong. It's all backwards for you. You don't get it. You see, you are the one who God loves. And the wealthy, the prosperous, they are the ones to whom God will say, I never knew you. Now imagine for a moment. Imagine how inspiring that would be. You're hearing that message. You've lived under oppression your entire life. What would that feel like to you? To have this guy come to you and to say to you that God sees your suffering and that you are the blessed one and you will inherit the earth. What would you feel like? You would feel like somebody finally gets it. Somebody finally understands what I'm going through on a day-to-day basis. Somebody finally cares about me and knows what I'm going through. And it would give you hope that maybe this life isn't just all suffering and then you die. Because in God's world, those who suffer come first. And everyone else is last. Which leads us to the second reason why Jesus sees blessing through the lens of suffering. Now, go back to it. You're still with me. Imagine you are, right, the peasants. Now, you have nothing. The only thing you can really depend on in your life is God. So what happens when we get sick? Where do you go when you get sick, generally speaking? You go, what, to a doctor, don't you? And that doctor, they prescribe you some medication, or if it's more serious, you have to get surgery. You go to a hospital. Well, for billions of people around the world, they don't have that privilege, right? They might have access to health care in the sense that they could go to a doctor, but they can't afford it. So for them, all they have when they get sick is they can pray, and that's it. They don't have any other options at their disposal. And so what you see in situations like that is that there's this intimate connection between poverty and faith. 
And the more abject poverty you live in, the deeper your faith. And so I think Jesus is kind of just calling a spade a spade in this. He's sitting there, and he's saying, he's like, look, I know you guys don't have anything. You don't have any other resources, and so the reason why you guys are blessed is because you actually believe it. You're the ones who actually have all the faith, whereas these people who are wealthy, when they get in trouble, they have other ways of getting out of their situation, but you don't. Now, think about it like this. Have you ever met people who are from like Haiti or Dominican Republic or places around like countries in Africa? You may have had the opportunity to meet Pastor Osvaldo. If you don't know who he is, Pastor Osvaldo, we have a relationship with this pastor who's in Gaspar Hernandez down in Dominican Republic. This guy literally started with nothing. And through working with us and some other organizations, he has been able to build up this whole area. And they are actually quite prosperous as a unit, as a community, because he has so much faith that God can actually change their situation. And so when you meet this guy, you feel like you're in the presence of a holy man because he is a person who has such deep faith. How many of you in here know Sister Carrie? Have you met Sister Carrie before? If you haven't met her, she comes to family night every so often. She's the one who helps run faith community homes. Now, this is a woman who I feel very privileged to work with because she lives a very, very bare lifestyle, devoid of a lot of the modern comforts that you and I enjoy. And then she spends all of her days working with people who are living under oppression, people who are quite poor. And so you meet her and you see her, and again, there's this connection. She feels like she's a very holy person because she is constantly in the midst of people who are struggling and suffering. And so this presents us in this church with a real problem because we're not exactly the people who Jesus is talking about, are we? I mean, most of us in here, we have been blessed in the more classical sense of the word, have we not? I mean, we have nice houses, we have lots of material possessions, we have access to health care. So based on everything I've been saying, we may not be Joel Osteen, but we're somewhere at the back of the line, are we not? So the question that I think is important for us to answer in here is, okay, if that's the case, where do we, here at First Pres, where do we fit into Jesus' worldview? How do we become a blessed people? Because that's really important. How do we find our blessing? Now, you'll hear some people sit there and say, well, if you fit into one of those narrow bands of what Jesus says, because remember, what do you say? If you're poor in spirit, are you suffering from depression? Are you going through a process of mourning? Are you a person who is meek and people walk all over you? If you fit into one of those narrow bands, then you are a blessed person. And there's some truth to that. I don't want to deny that in any way. But here's the problem. We do not fit into the total context of the people who he was talking to when he gave this sermon. Would you agree with that? I mean, we live very different lives from what they live. Sure, we might be able to appreciate a facet of what they were going through. But the truth is, we cannot relate to the totality of their life. So our concept of blessing is actually very different from theirs. And Jesus speaks to that. He tells us how we are supposed to be blessed. And this is what he says. I think this is really interesting. He says that when you have wealth and power and a voice, that it is your job to go out and take those blessings and to be a blessing to others. You see what I'm saying? That when you have those things, it is your job to go out and take those blessings and be a blessing to others. So, 
If you have all those things, you have to go out and you have to be with the oppressed. You have to go out there and be with those people who have no voice. You have to go out and be with those people who cannot stand up for themselves. Because you are Jesus' hands in the world and you are His voice who is going to them saying, God sees your suffering and you are the blessed one and you will inherit the earth. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you might back away from this categorization that says that the reason why you have all that wealth and prosperity is because God loves you. No, that is not true. You do not have everything that you have because you deserve it more than anyone else, because you have more merit than someone else in God's eyes. The reason why you have what you have is because you are lucky. You were born in a country that allows for you to be prosperous, and you were born into certain families, and many of you took advantage of that, and you worked very hard to have what you have, and that is great. It's wonderful that you have those things. But what Jesus is saying is, if you have it, if you've been given all those things by just mere chance, then it is your job to give back. You are supposed to give your blessings back to those who people, to people who do not have any blessings. And this is what you will find at the end of every sermon in this series, which is that when we're talking about the way, Jesus never lets you remain comfortable. The moment you think, yeah, I got it, he's like, nope, we're just going to turn up the fire a little bit more, right? That's the way it works. You can never be happy where you are because he's always pushing you. You can always do more. So today we're talking about being a blessing to others, right? Many of you do that already. I know you do. I see you. You work very hard. Many of you come out to our family night. You serve in lots of different ways. Don't think I'm trying to sit here and say none of you are a blessing to anybody else and that you're not using what you have for other people. You do, and I see that. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, you got to raise the bar. you got to move it up. you got to do a little bit more every time. It's never good enough where it is. Try to up your level. Try to get to where you need to be. And I think if we can work towards that, being a blessing to others, I think that we're making a good first step towards walking in Jesus' way. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.